Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Good morning, everyone. Uh, Evolutionary Hardcore coming your way. Uh, Milos Sarsev is going to be who we're going to talk about today. Steve Smee here in the Mwapsa joining me from UK. Yep. He's having some weather issues in the UK because it never rains in the UK, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So, yeah. Look green okay. for no reason. Every time it rains where a mobster lives, his internet goes down. The problem is it rains like every day. So exactly. that, that's yeah. his problem. All right, guys. So in, so in this one, guys, we're going to go over all his, his life, Milos. We're going to talk about his, his steroid bus. We're going to talk about his views on insulin. We're going to talk about what steroids he's, he's runs. We're going to have a really fun show in this one. We're going to, we're going to hit all these topics. So, First thing, first things first on Milos, um, you know, he's from what, Yugoslavia, mobster over there in uh, Southeast. It's called something else now, but the old Yugoslavia, yeah. Yeah, so guys, this guy, um, he has some really controversial views on insulin. He's got some controversial views on other guys. Um, He's got a beef with Nasser. So, you know, let's get into it. Um, Mobster, what's your first thoughts when you were first, um, when you, on Milo's uh, first off, do you have some um, a bias towards him or do you think he's a cool guy? I think it's one of those guys that if you don't know nothing about him, he comes across really well because he, he comes across as really intelligent. His nickname was The Mind. Uh, and that, that ended up being a, a, a feature of articles that he was involved in. Aesthetically, as a bodybuilder, he's perfectly fine. And in fact, as a competitive bodybuilder, he was right up there with the numbers. I mean, I've done some, some background research. And one, he, he says he's done 110 shows, 72 were pro level. Uh, and it was only after he retired that Chris Cormier and Dr. Jackson caught up. However... For the purposes of a podcast, we research a lot, as you know, for all the podcasts that that, that Ivaru does. And the more I put, the more I read on him, <laughs> the less shiny an example of humanity he becomes. As an athlete, great. As an intelligent guy, great. As a coach, really, really good coach. But uh, yeah, Steve, Steve and I are going to get into some of the other stuff. And uh, yeah, it comes across, starts to come across quite badly. So first impressions, good. Later, not so much. Yeah. yeah. So before we get into that, though, let's talk a little bit about his history because it's really cool to look at their how people grew up and how they kind of discovered bodybuilding. Because a lot of you listening, you may be younger guys, you may be middle aged, you may be older guys who have kids who have grandkids, and you can kind of take a look at that and see the history. So. Listen, he was born 1964 in Serbia. Um, he played all kinds of sports. The big sports are out there, soccer, basketball. We see them. They have a, a pretty good basketball team over there. Um, martial arts and then swimming, of course. He liked the gym. Uh, the gym was the place he kind of was able to get better at all the other sports he played. He studied nutrition in school. 
after college, he started experimenting with different training and diet protocols. And his old school bodybuilding heroes from the golden age, you know, the guys from the 70s and the guys from the early 80s, they inspired him to get serious about bodybuilding. His first big win was first place at uh, 1986 and 1987, Mystery Yugoslavia. But he knew he would have to move to the United States if he wanted to take his dreams to the next level. Um, so Milas, as, as Mobster said, got in a lot of competitions. He knew he had to get his pro card. Back in those days, it was much harder to get a pro card than it is today. So he, um, in 1988, he, AAU, Mr. Universe, got third place in his category. Um, he got a lot of uh, respect for that. And then the next year, he won Mr. Universe and finally got his pro card. So he was not scared to get into some of the toughest shows against the top guys. 1997, 1999, top 10 finishes at Mr. Olympia. Um, he got top 10 at Night of Champions, Ironman Pro, the Arnold Classics. So he really has an extensive, he's one of those guys that he has a long record of winning and doing very well at these very high-end competitions. So here's what separates him from a lot of guys. He's actually made his bones coaching. So, and a lot of people think that he's even a better coach than he is a bodybuilder. So, and a lot of these top bodybuilders come to him, uh, Bob Paris, Lee Labrada, Flex Wheeler, they've been his students and he's trained a lot of guys, a lot of top 20, a lot of top 10, top 20 guys at the big competition. So, you know, he's been big. Yeah. I was just going to jump in here. And one of the things I remember reading many years ago is that at one time, I believe there's actually a, 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 a video of this online somewhere. He was training four top pros all at the same time for this video. And he was really putting these fellas through the ringer. So, yeah, they were, they were approaching him. He was approaching them, offering to train them or whatever else. And he was, uh, uh, to, 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 to coin a phrase, he was smashing the fuck out of him. He, it was, not everybody could stand the level of intensity that he was putting on them. And I, and I know one of the things that he was uh, a big fan of, as, as I know you know, Steve, was the giant sets, which is four or more exercises in rotation with no break. So for example, four or five shoulder exercises just for shoulders, one thing after another. And these guys were struggling. It's in a great deal of pain. So I actually agree with you, Steve. I would say that the article where we say he was a, 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 as good a coach as anything else, it's probably true. It's one of his pluses. And in fact, we're going to get into what NASA used to say a, a great deal about him, but he did not say he wasn't a good coach. The guy is very, very good at getting the best out of people to the point where some wouldn't turn up or they found it too much or whatever. But those that seem to stick with it showed improvements, whether it's a short term or long term. Isn't so, as you know, Steve, it's very, very difficult, uh, even with pro level to train with that kind of level of intensity all the time and to take that kind of instruction sometimes is the hardest thing. Anyway, yeah, back to you. Yeah, so he, you know, and we're gonna link the article over to you. One of the things that I wrote about him was his, the giant set advocation. And Mobster, um, I'll give you an example. The routine, the first month, what you would do is you do five rotations per muscle group with four exercises per rotation. And you include one heavy duty exercise, then month two, you change it. Then month three, you change it. So mobster, 
have you implemented this before? And can you kind of get into how, you know, first month, second month, third month, talk about that. And then we'll kind of get into um, what he likes to do while he's working out. It's called the hyperemia advantage theory. Yeah. I'll, I'll kind of touch on that, but talk about the training. Um, one of the ways that he, 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 he trains. I'll give I'll give you a couple of things. For personally, I've never done a giant set. I it's, just, I think it's too much like cardio for me. <laughs> I, I'd be on me ass huffing and puffing. I'm I'm a good fan of supersets and, and pre-exhaust. But some of the stuff that uh, Milos has done includes pre-exhaust as part of uh, the build-up to the giant set. What I have done as a coach, and I'm sure Steve Smith's done this as well when we've been uh, advising people, is that the, the giant set is essentially four or five or more exercises without a break. So what you can quite often do when you get someone, a client comes in, is you don't give them much time at all. I mean, one of my tricks has always been as a coach, we'll have a chat in between sets. And as soon as your breathing gets back to normal, you're back on it. So workouts are 45, 50 minutes. Now, now as I said earlier on, I mean, the high post stuff Steve also described because he's better at that thing than I am. But I know, for example, that uh, he was good one of the things was with the apple sauce, the guys would take an apple sauce or, or a little uh, baby food of apple and essentially carb loading during the workout. They're having this stuff just before they train, then they're smashing the four sets, five sets, the giant set together, having a very small break, and then they would, they, they would um, hydrate and have more apple sauce. And in this way, those guys that did stick with the program talked about the absolutely unreal pumps they were getting, the volume work, the capillary action, they were blowing up. Absolutely, the guys have never had a pump like it, this kind of situation. Now the science, Steve will explain, because um, I, I, I start to read those articles and there's only so many hours of a day. And, and it just, it's one of those things you could go off and learn guys in terms of putting water in, hydrating during a workout, creating as that kind of an effect. So there's little tricks you can use. Uh, Steve, what's the um, one where, um, We've talked about this for guys that model when they want to get a slight pump for the photographer. And I'm trying to think of the, the this, it's a quite simple product that they can take, it hydrates them and, and, and volumizes them literally for an hour or two. It's a kind of bodybuilding trick. It will come to me in a minute. But yeah, talk about the uh, glycogen. Yeah, he... so, so his, the hyperemia advantage theory. So this, this is basically feeding your body before and during your workout and the, this this theory is all well and good but it doesn't compute with the way our human body works or any animal on earth i'll give you an example if you go in if you're doing a marathon and i'm this is an extreme example but if you're running a marathon you don't see these guys pulling over to the side in injecting themselves with insulin, injecting themselves with glucose, injecting themselves with amino acids and ATP in the bloodstream. You know, you don't see that because what happens is you're actually making your body process what you're putting into it while you're, so you're actually going to be slowing yourself down. Even runners don't even swallow water when they're running. So what they'll do is basically they'll put water, swish and spit. Because you put it in your body, even water, you put it in your body, your body still has to process that water. So what he's doing here is excess. This is an excessive amount of 
you know, throwing things at your body. He's on so much HGH. He's on so much insulin. He's on so many steroids. He's on HGH. He's taking all these multivitamins. He's taking all this stuff and the normal human body will not e even be able to absorb or take advantage of any of the stuff you're putting in it, especially when it's under stress. But in his situation, because he's on all this stuff, he's able to basically, it's like a sponge. His muscles are like a sponge. So they're going to suck all this up as he's working out. Something that we've discussed on the forum, Steve, is this whole idea, which kind of ties in with this, the, the intra drinks, the drink that you have during your workout. And as Steve says quite properly, we're talking about sipping water for the most part, right? So literally just to stop, you know, stop that sense of being dry because you're sweating really hard. Now, the whole intra drinks came off the basis of this idea that somehow you could make even better gains during a workout by having something going into your system. And I've argued this. I said, listen, let's, let's say for a second it's true, as Steve quite properly points out. Really, you, you're asking this with anything that's even vaguely heavy for it, digestive issues. The last thing I want to be doing is having a three-course meal or even something vaguely substantive while I'm doing a leg workout, for example. If it's a low intensity, medium volume thing, maybe. But even then, I don't, I don't want anything more than the equivalent of a boiled egg or something like that. What I've also said, let's say that this is true. What you're talking about here, guys, is a half of 1%. And it's something that for the most part, you're not pro-level with pro-level genetics. You're a normal guy. So your gains are gonna come simply from the food that you've ate for the day. Ideally, a reasonably short time after a workout. If you could gain something during the workout by virtue that you've put nutrition in and your body's grabbing hold of it and using it in, in the best possible way, it's minimal. It's a half of 1%. It might add up with 10 or 15 or 20 years of training. It might add up with 100 or 200 or 300 sessions during the year. But it's tiny. Now, as Steve said, if you then, on the other hand, flip that around, if you've got amazing genetics and you're not a pro level if you haven't, if you've got the perfect food for you, in the case of the example I gave earlier on, they were suggesting applesauce as one example. And if you are doing, and let's be crude, a shitload of drugs those drugs are also aiding the utilization they're also aiding the uptake of proteins and so on and so forth but we're really talking about a very small percentage for the average guy i was honestly it'd have to be something very light like a teaspoon of amino acids or something like that mixed in with a very small amount of calories and really your best thing is to sip water you don't need an energy drink you don't need glucose your, your workout shouldn't be long enough for you to run out of glycogen. So, yeah, it's, it's the, the, there's a nice idea behind it, but the reality is that even if there are results, they're very, very small, and for the average fella, even smaller than they would be for a pro. Yeah, yes. and I would, I would argue for the average fella, it would be counterproductive. I'll give you an example. If you were to go in and drink eight ounces of water or 16 ounces of water, just water, much less Gatorade or something, or like a protein shake or something like that. And you go in for a squat workout, a hard squat workout, or you go run for a mile. What's going to happen is your body is going to be like, I'm under stress. And now you're throwing something in my stomach that now I got to process, which puts me under even more stress. So what's going to happen? It's going to come out usually back up and out <laughs> your mouth. And you see this at road races all the time, 
or you see this in the gym, you go into the bathroom and you see someone just threw up all over the toilet and you see like what they ate is right there in black and white. And that's the problem. Your body's going to reject it. So in this situation, in his situation, that's going to work on a pro bodybuilder at a high level because they can absorb all that stuff they're doing. But you, your body's not going to absorb it. Your body's going to get rid of it. It's going to make you more... It's going to hurt your workout, not help. I'll keep this real short as well. It's just, we've had this come up on the forum before we get into the meat and potatoes of the rest of this podcast. You want to even be careful with the amount of food that you have pre-workout. Uh, I try, because I train in the morning, to have at least one hour after a very light breakfast before I'll hit the weights. And a lot of times we've seen online with these questions that come up from the new guys and just from guys who've had to change, whether at college or whether they're out doing a, a day's work, you have to allow that time between, <coughs> excuse me, eating and hitting the gym or eating and going running. Minimum for most people is half an hour. This would be a very small snack-like meal. I would really want an hour, maybe an hour and a half. If you're a working guy, have your last snack before you hit the gym, before you finish work. I mean, in the last 15 or 20 minutes, and then you get in your car and you drive to the gym and do whatever, that's going to give you 45, 50 minutes, hopefully, and then you can hit the gym. Otherwise, as Steve Lee said, it's whether it's in your belly as a protein shake or a Garrett-type drink during a workout, guys, for the most part, struggle with eating beforehand if there's not enough time for this stuff to settle down in your stomach. And if you've already gotten the stomach doing its bits and pieces, I've never puked during a workout, but I've come close a couple of times and I have seen people chew puke during a workout. All that nutrition, all that specialized stuff that you guys decided to do, and now it's down the toilet or in a bucket or even worse, down the front of your workout shirt, and you've still got the workout to do. This is the, 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 the ideas are lovely when you're written down and, and, and appear to make sense. And scientifically speaking, that stuff's done in a lab in very specific conditions. But in reality, leave time before the work between your last workout, sorry, between your last meal and the workout. And if you do do have anything, honestly, it's going to be sipping. Probably, I mean, I, I take 300 ml of water in with a little bit of creatine, and that's the only way I have an intra drink. It's incredibly light. And I sip that, and sometimes I don't even finish it all through the workout. And that's me. Anything else, whether it was milk or an energy drink, or God forbid, one of these caffeine fuel type uh, drinks like Monster or whatever. No, just no. So yeah, it works in very specific conditions and with a very small elite. And even if it did work as well as we think it is, it works to a very small margin where all the other things you could do are making a much bigger difference than, than you having some sort of specialized intratype drink during the workout. Really, really small stuff, people. Yeah, and Milos didn't believe in that. You know, he didn't he he believes that you know more is better. Let's throw as much stuff. There's no going into a workout on an empty stomach. There's no being in your workout and not taking in stuff. There's no after your workout, you've got to throw constantly. It wake up in the middle of the night, throw things at your body. As soon as you get up in the morning, throw things at your body. If you miss a meal, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. If you miss that HGH injection, if you miss that insulin before your meal, it's, you're wasting your meal. If you don't take your insulin before your meal, it's a waste. That's what he believes in. So we're going to get into his theories on insulin. We're going to talk about a steroid use. Uh, Mobster, yep. I'm just going to say one more thing. And Steve's touched on this earlier and he's mentioned it in, 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 in stuff that he's written. 
If the body worked like that, people, the human race would have died out a long time ago. If we, if we somehow struggled to live by virtue of not having had a three o'clock in the morning meal, we'd have all been dead by breakfast time. We would have, the humanity would have been, we'd have been fucked. Seriously, this idea that what, seven meals, eight meals, 12 meals a day, how the hell did we get to this point that we're having well, a podcast? Momster, your people over there, when they were fighting during the Middle Ages, you're, the Welsh were f- fighting the, the Irish and were, the Scottish were fighting England. They'd march for days with no food. And the king would tell them, hey, you come fight for me. I'm going to feed you after the battle. You don't get food before the battle. You're going to march with armor, carrying all this so- all your swords and armor for miles for days. And then I'll feed you after. That's that's going to be your reward for fighting for me. And that's what that's the way it works. You know, your ancestors used to do that over there in the Middle Ages. So I mean, yeah, that's the way our human bodies work. Unfortunately, you, you know, you work out first, then get your meal. But Milos, no, Milos doesn't believe in that. And at that level, he's he's right at that level because at that level, you're so big and you're you're putting these these compounds in your body where your where your muscles are sponge. You're so insulin resistant. Your muscles are so insulin resistant that it just sucks everything up. You're on so yeah. much trend. So let's get into, you know, his steroid use. And then I want to talk about insulin and his theories on insulin because he's very pro-insulin. And some people in this industry are very pro-insulin. I'm going to give you the facts on insulin, let you guys at home decide. So Mobster, let's talk about his steroid stacks. This is the steroid stack that we we put together on, on evolutionary.org, which is a speculation of what his his steroid stack looks like and what he advises his top level top 20 mr olympia guys so right off the bat 15 ius of hgh per day and that might even be conservative on some days i'm sure it goes even higher than that insulin oh my gosh you've got to get that insulin every meal you've got to get an insulin beforehand and he likes to do insulin even during his workout. So we're talking 10 IUs during the workout. And then he's taking insulin before every meal. Because if you don't get that insulin before every meal, to him, it's a waste. You're, you're just wasting that food. Because he wants, remember, he wants to sponge everything from everything he eats. Big, big, big. It's all about excess and getting bigger. Trenbolone, that's another one. Trenbolone. The more you use it, the higher the dosage, the more insulin resistant your muscles become. The more insulin resistant your muscles become, the more it's going to be a sponge. That's why when you're on trend, you'll notice you start shaking or you'll have to get up at night and have some carbs because that's that's what makes trend make. That's why trend is used in cattle to make cattle bigger. It's the same thing. That's what trend does well. And he definitely him and these other pros today, they are trenbolone whores. They love their trenbolone. A gram a week would not be out of the question. And then testosterone sipinate. When you have access to aromatized inhibitors, you can go ahead and run that test at a gram. Back in the day in the 70s and the 80s, they would never run testosterone at a gram a week. That would be major, majorly stupid because they didn't know anything about how to combat estrogen. They didn't have access to aromatized inhibitors. They didn't even exist yet. So how would they even be able to get their estrogen levels back down? EQ, um, throw it in a gram and a half. You can throw in a bunch of EQ because it's not going to 
kill you <laughs> instead of taking another two grams of trend, hey, throw in a gram or two of EQ because that just adds to the cycle. And then of course the master on, we gotta throw in the master in to harden you up easily at least 800 milligrams a week, especially leading up to a show. Masteron is a great hardener, guys. It's a DHT derivative. It is just pure cosmetic steroid. And then the last one, Mobster, Winstrel, you know that 100 milligrams. It's a dryer. It's going to make you vascular. It's going to dry out everything. And that's going to make you look so ripped going into a show. So yeah, I mean, this is the this is the little stack we put together. I think we're being conservative on the insulin. I think uh, he's probably running not only 10 IUs during the workout, but he's probably going to run 5, 10 IUs before every meal so he doesn't waste the meal. And these dosages, you know, this entire cycle, if you as a normal Joe were to run this, you would not only break the your, your wallet in half, but you'd also probably, you know... Uh, run the risk of having some major health ramifications. So don't try this at home, guys. But this is the kind of chemical warfare that Milos believes in. And this is the chemical warfare that he coaches. And he's blunt about it. I mean, his views, if you go on and watch his YouTube videos, he's not he's not shy about saying more is better. And let's let's kill everything. So mobster, you know, do you do you think what do you think about these compounds? Kind of go over a couple of these compounds and how specifically they you think they've helped them. And some of the guys that you know over there in uh, in Wales that are running these kinds of dosages. Let's just address the first two, right? With the with the human growth hormone. In fact, I was discussing with a buddy this morning. I said we've got this podcast coming up, and and I said just run the numbers. Uh, hundred IUs. I've said that the uh, units. Hundred I units. Hundred IUs of human growth hormone cost about a hundred pounds, right? So you, you can do, <laughs> you, you're looking at 15 pounds. And I think that Steve's being conservative, that's per day. Uh, and I actually think the, the stuff, the rumors, and it is a rumor that we, when we read on the recommendations, 20, 30, 40, which is essentially 20, 30 or 40 pounds per day. Now you need to be either very rich, have a high degree of disposable income or dealing. And then let's be, let's be brutal. It's probably dealing. You need to be getting your gear for free or you need to be selling it because in order to pay for this kind of level and the 10 I use eventually during the workout. Yeah, Steve's correct. That you'll be taking it with the meals and that could potentially mean five to seven meals a day. Your 10 I use, I believe is very conservative again because we keep reading this kind of stuff. It's something that we've discussed multiple times on the forum. If you do not have the genetics, and this is just for the insulin, if you do not have the genetics to use up, to utilize it in the wonderfully scientific way that Milos describes, and the literature says is the most anabolic substance known to mankind, what have I seen? What has these me seen? That 99.9% .9 of users get fat. And with the money that we're talking about spending here, they get poor. So what kind of what kind of anabolic are you using in the case of insulin specifically, where you, you and human growth hormone, the money's gone and you're fatter than when you started. And how is that a recommendation for it being a great drug? It's just it's gonna come down to multiple things. Even for example, we can go off and we can watch the video that Steve me said uh, uh, with regards to 
the protocols that Mila suggests, but you need to be doing this stuff exactly rightly. If you do something mildly wrong, then you've wasted your money. And I've seen, as I said, myself personally, training athletes for competition that are ripped, they're getting ready, they're doing their usual PEDs and they throw insulin into the mix and they do not look better. Quite often they look worse. If they've got good genetics, they might just about hold on to their condition. We know this also from uh, all the bodybuilding competition reports about guys, and it can direct this is included here, of course, where they mess up literally in the last 24, 48, 72 hours, 16 weeks of training, and you're, and you're playing with diuretics, 16 weeks, and your last two weeks are flat, 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 and then you're meant to fill out. How do you think they're filling out, guys? It isn't just carbs, it's other bits and pieces that's going into the mix here. And so, yeah, the trend. We know guys that get hungry. That's what the cattle are doing. The cattle are getting hungry. Their blood sugar drops. They get hungry. They're putting food in. In the case of the cattle, they're eating more grain. In the case of human beings, they're raising the freezer. You've got bodybuilders, competitive bodybuilders that have literally ruined uh, show prep because they're starving hungry, not just from cardio, not just from dieting, but because they're mucking around with their blood sugar levels. So there's, there's an argument against that. I also think, and again, it becomes, as Steve said, chemical warfare. When you look at the other drugs, so you're messing with your growth hormone, great for recovery, great for uh, tissue repair, but you're doing all these other things and it's going back and forth and your body needs to be perfectly in sync with what you're putting in, really does, because you're messing with food, you're messing with insulin, and then you're trying to stay lean and rip with the equipoise. I mean, it just it's, it's up and down, it really is up and down. And you see this with guys that, are, especially the amateurs, that are doing multiple steroids, trying to do a pro level type thing. They can't handle it mentally. They can't handle it physically. Their diet's not on point. Their training's not on point. So it's a nice idea for us to go off and research this stuff and to discuss it like we're doing right now. But you have to know yourself, how you are affected by each of these drugs. And in fact, Steve Smith, I'm going to say this now, and I think Steve would agree. One of the things that we try to put out is very simple, straightforward cycles for beginners. Because if we put you, for example, on a pro-level type cycle, you've got zero idea where each of those drugs is going to have an effect on you, even if you can handle them. So we start simple, we keep it basic. And then with experience, and we've got some experienced guys on, on Evo, you slowly add in other things once you know how to handle the first things. You move things around just to see what's going to happen. Essentially, we probably most of us end up with two or three drugs that we really like that we seem to get a good positive response from. And we're quite, Steve and I, and a few of the others, we're quite moderate really in terms of our actual personal usage. And we've got ourselves to a decent level and hopefully experienced and knowledgeable enough to be able to hand out these kinds of bits of advice. So, yeah, I'm looking at that and I think 100% Steve is probably far worse than it's written down here, especially the first two with regards to insulin and HGH. I, I, I would put money on it. I, I ran to give you guys an idea of this. I ran a cycle before a trend and winstrol cycle. I ran about 300 milligrams a week of trend and I ran 50 milligrams of, a day of winstrol. Okay. Which is a fraction of this, of this cycle that we speculate he used on that cycle. I would grab my head hair in the shower and then look at my hand and I'd have hair all over my hand. My head hair was falling out. My prostate was inflamed the size of a grapefruit. I know that because it would be hard for me to pee. My cholesterol levels went from like 160, 170 total cholesterol to 225, 230. And I know that because I, I gave blood during the cycle. 
So they tell you after you get blood, um, they give you the same, they email you the results the next couple of days. My blood pressure went up like 20, 30 points. My heart rate went up about 12 points. And I was just on a fraction of that trend he's using and a fraction of that windstroll he's using. That's how yeah. bad it was just running that little stack. So he's on 20, 30 times what I'm running. And, you know, that's how bad it was. So I can't imagine the side effects of this. So guys, don't try this at home, guys, please. Because you're just going to screw yourself up. These guys are on so much stuff to control their cholesterol. They're all on things to control their cholesterol. They're all on things. They're on these, you know, um, these, they're on stents for, they're getting strokes. They're getting headaches. They're probably taking so many painkillers because they're getting so many headaches every day. So they take stuff for the headaches. Um, so yeah, so it's insane the amount of stuff they're taking. Um, now on the insulin, it's very, very important. Uh, Milos, you look, I give him all the credit in the world. Milos was one of the first or second IFBB pros to uh, introduce insulin. The first, one of the first or second guys to bring insulin to the bodybuilding world. And he should get credit for that because it's called, it's created these monsters that we see today. In the, in the past 20 years, it's blown up industry. And yes, insulin is very, very important in pro body, <clears throat> in pro bodybuilding. You cannot be a top 20 bodybuilder without the insulin, the HGH and the steroid use, no doubt about it. So he, he should get credit for that. Uh, I'm not saying that it's right, but I'm saying he should get credit. Now, insulin, it's very important to understand how insulin works. So I'm going to explain it to you guys very, very simple. Our pancreas spits out insulin every time you eat a meal. Our pancreas will spit out insulin. When you eat um, a candy bar, your insulin will be spit more than if you consume something that's like a, a, if you consume an unrefined spoonful of coconut oil, which is pure fat, 130 calories is pure fat. It's 130 pure, pure fat, 100% fat. You consume that your insulin levels aren't going to budge if at all, because fats won't budge. If it's pure fat, it won't budge your insulin levels. But if you eat carbs, protein, it will, depending on the food, obviously. Now with sugars, fruit will boost your insulin levels way less than, like I said, a candy bar for, you know, a Snickers or something like that, or, or a Gatorade with, with, um, that has lots of sugar in it. The, uh, sugar, not the sugar-free Gatorade, the other Gatorade. So that's, that's what happens in your body. Now, these guys, these pro bodybuilders, why do they take insulin? They take insulin exogenously because that insulin is going to counteract all that HGH they're taking. So they're running the growth hormone, which is spiking their uh, blood sugar because HGH at these excessive levels, not at normal levels, but at excessive levels, run, um, will boost your blood sugar. HGH and insulin in our bodies as a normal Joe who's not on anything run counter to each other. So if you have high insulin, you've got low HGH in your body. If you have high HGH, you got low insulin, which is not going to happen unless you're fasting. The only way you can get high HGH and low insulin is by fasting. That's why when you fast, your HGH levels go up and you lose fat so rapidly because your insulin is down. In these kinds' of case, they're jacking up their HGH levels exogenously by taking this 515 IUs of growth hormone or 20 IUs of growth hormone a day periodically. 
right off the bat, as soon as they get up in the morning, boom, they take their HGH, they boost it. Then they take the insulin before their meal to crash their blood sugar back down to earth. And that kind of gives them the balance. So if they were to just take the insulin without the HGH, they would gain fat. Even these guys who are on all these drugs and these great genetics, they would still gain fat, but it's the HGH that's balancing out that insulin. So all, if you mix that HGH and you mince that insulin together and you run it at a, at a correct amount and you eat generally clean, then yes, you're gonna build a lot of size because both of those together are like peanut butter and jelly. You're gonna build a lot of size. So this is why Milo's, this is what Milo's figured out before other guys did. He kind of brought this mainstream and now guys copycat this. Tons of HGH, tons of insulin, timing it around your meals, timing the HGH even, but specifically timing the insulin to the, to the right amount and getting just the right amount of insulin to bring your blood sugar not too low where you go into a coma, but leveling it off. And he argues in a lot of his videos about insulin being not dangerous. And, um, you know, he's right because insulin, it's still very, very hard to kill yourself from insulin. The only guys who have killed themselves from insulin are guys who injected a lot of insulin and then they like fell asleep and then they never woke up. They went into a coma and someone found them, rushed them to the hospital, whatever. So those are, those are the types of situations that you can really harm yourself. But there's millions of people who are type two diabetics and type one diabetics who, who inject insulin every day and they're not dropping like flies from uh, injecting insulin. So insulin is very hard to kill yourself from uh, with. Um, so, you know, that this is the way they, they do this. So we do have to give Miles credit for, for bringing it uh, mainstream. One of the things I was going to say, Milos himself talks about how he's learned in some ways the hard way, and that's by making the mistakes both with himself and I believe also with clients and, and people that he spoke to. He's done the whole copycat uh, uh, programs out to people and then kind of seen what the responses are when they've got back to him if they stayed as clients. He's made the mistakes himself, his famous mistakes, Steve, that we talked about off here with the Sympho where uh, a lot of the guys at that particular time when he was competing in the 80s and 90s were starting, and the rumors were, you know, Flex, what has happened to uh, uh, Flex Wheeler's calves, what's happened to uh, with Nassius' calves, had this been injected, had, had the, this rear delt been added to, et cetera, et cetera. So the story goes, and this is all out there for you guys to look at, he's injected a tricep because other guys are doing it. But he makes what potentially was a near fatal mistake. And funny enough, he doesn't recommend Sympho anymore. He's injected into the tricep, a globule of Sympho is nicked, nicked a vein, a globule of Sympho has gone into his bloodstream and headed, as you can imagine it would do, straight for the heart, ends up in hospital. The suggestion and, and rumors at the time that the arm nearly had to come off, but in reality, he nearly gave himself a heart attack. So he's learned some of what he talks about the hard way and some of it's from clients and people that he's coached. So again, with this kind of information, you guys don't need to learn the hard way. You don't need to do dangerous, stupid stuff. Like I said, for example, if you ever decided, and it's not a personal recommendation of mine whatsoever, but if you ever decide to manipulate or play with insulin protocols, you need to be on point. It's one thing for us to go, oh, I took 300 milligrams too much of test. It's something else to do this kind of stuff. And Steve Smith is correct. I'm pretty sure I remember reading some of this stuff 
20 or something years ago when we both became interested in nutrition and supplemental side of things, where it's exactly as Steve has described. They were do, doing the insulin late or they were hungry and they fell asleep and that caused them problems. I've only actually seen, and it's not really the greatest example, I've only actually seen one person, it wasn't a bodybuilder, funny enough, and it was when I was uh, outside New Scotland Yard in central London where the guy comes out and in front of colleagues of mine is, is fitted and he's hitting a curbstone and his head's bleeding and it turns out he hadn't taken, he's gone into uh, hypoglycemia, he's having a, a, a diabetic fit and, and smash you know, his head, it wasn't terribly injured, but it looked a lot worse than it was. And it was literally because he'd been out drinking with buddies, he hadn't taken his insulin, alcohols or sugar, he's up and down like a yo-yo, the next thing he's having a fit in the street. And colleagues are having to deal with it, and we 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 mopped him up. We stuck him in an ambulance, and 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 we. Yeah, I, I had the dubious pleasure of scrubbing the blood off the curbstones. So it that's I've not actually seen it myself in a bodybuilder, but yeah, sure. Here in the UK and in America, guys messed this up, and we were putting himself in hospital, or as Steve Smith said, actually killing himself. You need to be on point with this stuff, and for the most part, most of you haven't got the genetics that benefit from it anyway. So. Yeah, if you want to get fat, if you want to get fucked up, if you just if it's a money thing, just give me Steve me and, and I the money. We'll we'll do something with it. <laughs> if, you, if you don't mind burning your way through twenty or thirty pounds or forty fifty dollars worth of cash every day, post it to Steve me and I. We'll have a great Evo Christmas party on your money, guys. It's easy, and you'll still look as good at the end of the year as you did without it. So yeah, what else? Yeah, so let's finish up this show. We've had about ten minutes left, monster. Let's finish up with the controversies. Milos, he got in trouble, um, you know, in 2005. His house got raided over in, in California. Um, the Chargers ended up being dismissed, um, but there was one of the other men pled guilty to a lesser charge, so he was lucky in that situation. Um, his crime, uh, they, they charged him with importing steroids and HGH illegally, um, and there was an ins- there that was kind of tied in with Nasser, so um, – Talk about his his dealings with with Nasser and the, they have kind of a little um, he does a lot controversy going on between them with the wives and stuff. So tell us a little bit about that, and we'll finish up talking about his 2010 controversy. Right. So specifics. There goes this. I I won't mention the site, but you guys can quite easily find uh, the interview that Nasser just put Nasser Osambati and Milo Sarsif in the new, and the link to the interview should come up online. Nasir really, really dishes the big time. So part, as, as Steve Meester said correctly, is it was a steroid raid. They were convinced that he had steroids in the house. Uh, Rick Collins, who was his attorney, said no steroids were found. However, it tied into the whole Balco issue, which was going around at the same time, where people were being interviewed at the Arnold Classic, where, according to Nasir, 100 witnesses or people were required to attend court at some ridiculous cost. Nasir suggested, for example, that uh, Milos may have sung his words. And of course, Nasir is dead, so we can't go back and ask him 100%. And it's not something that Milos talks about a great deal. You had a bunch of other stuff going on at the same time. Nasir puts a, a huge amount of dirty information out there. And I'm going to say, reading it, some of it may be a little bit of bitterness. But I think there's a lot of truth in what he said and the way that he was talking. For example, we know that Milos had his own gym. There was an issue when his wife at the time kind of threw him out. So now he can't even go back to the gym that's supposed to be his because she's probably going to get it in, in, in the court case. 
he turns up and he's arrested because he slaps his sister uh, trying to get some money off of them. And there's a bunch of other stuff going on at the same time. You say that, for example, with the Balco situation, he talks about uh, coaching and advising, and this is both directly and indir indirectly in terms of advisement for PEDs and the actual training side of things, an Olympic-level sprinter, who I won't name again on this podcast, but again, this information is out there. So you've got a lot of stuff going on at the time. And let me have a look here. Uh, if, if this guy's so good to talk about uh, controversy, he, he was a, a training movie stars. He was coaching Olympic level athletes, but at the same time, uh, he had um, Sonny Schmidt. And one of the stories that Nassia puts out is that Sonny, Sonny was paying $850 rent and that both Milos and his wife are supposed to be paying $850 rent for the place that they shared. But it turns out that the rent was just $850. So it was just Sonny paying for it. And Nassia tells a bunch of stories about going out for meals where Nassia pays for them. And it was a bunch of money type stuff going on, steroid stuff going on. Uh, Nassia suggests that uh, Milos was getting high left, right and centre on his words, a liquid cocaine, speed. Uh, the, 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 a group of them went over the border with Milos in the car and they got pulled by customs and there was a pound of cannabis in the back of the car. So many things. Maybe this is Nassir dishing the dirt. Maybe it's just bad blood between the two of them. Maybe it's Milos kind of on that adventure that perhaps you do when you do stupid. If you're on top of the world, you're kind of invincible. You're doing a, you've got a lot of spare cash coming in from the guest posing and all the other things that are going on. Example, Milos and a bunch of other people, including Nassir, were under contract to Weeder. So they all get called to this meeting at the Weeder offices where they're told the limit but the amount of supplements they can have is $600 per month. And Nassia says, well, I was barely taking anything and I was only really getting stuff ready for a competition. But the reality that what had happened was Milos was taking as much as he could possibly lay his hands on, putting it behind the counter of the gym and then selling it to the point where he was like, taking 10 times as much as anybody else because the limit hadn't been placed. So now there was a limit placed. A year later, they stopped that because Milos was still taking more than his fair share. And again, this is just the stuff that Nasir was putting out there. It was kind of like a kid, if you think about it. And sometimes me, me and Steve, too, I think we dis we've touched on this in a previous podcast. And I'll just mention it just now. When you're on top of the world, when you are a high-level athlete, whether it's pro football in the States, basketball or whatever else, there's a sense sometimes you can be incredibly intelligent. And I think Milos is very, very intelligent. It's not called what he's called for no reason. And the stuff, the protocols that we've discussed, they've come out there, there's a semblance of science behind it and it comes across in a certain way. The problem is no one's arguing. No one's telling you no. You're able to get away with things, whether it's relationships, whether it's money, whether it's what you're doing to your friends. And this goes on for ages and ages and ages. And I think it's kind of like a sort of sociopathy, Steve, don't you think? In terms of like, you know, you know, I know better than everybody else. Therefore, everybody should listen to what I'm saying. That kind of mentality. When you're when you're at that level and you coach the people you've coached, I mean, of, of course, course. you're going to build a big ego. There's no yeah. there's no way around it. And he's earned it like because he not only coaches at the highest level, but he's also been at the highest level. So, I mean, there's no there's no way you can uh, avoid that. And if someone was to uh, tell him. Yeah, someone wants to tell him he was wrong. Yeah. He's going to be like, who the hell are you to tell me I'm wrong? Yeah. So, of course, yeah. Yeah, you and, um, yeah, yeah. 
the, the, I could speak 47 million languages. No one else is as bright and intelligent as what I am. It's the way that he came across. Of course, it's ego. Has to be. In fact, I've said to you before, in terms of training, coaching, and whatever else, in order to drive yourself, and this is a you know words of advice for, for, for our listeners, in order to drive yourself to be the best that you can possibly be is, an, in essence, part of ego. If you don't want to be the best you can be, you just want to be a normal Joe, we, you wouldn't be listening to our podcast. You wouldn't be asking for advice. You're not trying to be better. You just want to be whatever, and you're not fussed. So that's low ego. High ego is, listen, I want to be lean. I want to be ripped. I want to get myself more girls, more better job, more money. That's, that's an egotistical thing. And so there's an if it comes easy to you, it becomes more egotistical. And people are going to give you contracts for it. You, you look great, I'm going to give you money. You look great, I'm going to give you sex in the case of some of the women. You look great, you can come and have a free drink in my bar. That's how this kind of, then you start to think a certain particular way. So 100% super intelligent, scientific guy, but with some of the stuff that Nasir was talking about, and Nasir was one of these people himself, hugely egotistical in terms of thinking that you know everything there is to know. We did this in the last podcast, Steve, when we said about learning something every single day. That applies here. There's good stuff about Milos, and there's a lot of bad stuff about Milos out there. And I think I, I want our listeners to go off and look for themselves. Don't just take it from Minister. We're not trying to be biased. We're just saying this is what's out there. This is what you can read. Pick the good. He learned from his mistakes, and he made lots of mistakes. He's a fantastic bodybuilder, a very intelligent guy. But again, feats of clay. There's stuff out there for you to pick the bones over and take what you can from this information. So one more but, controversy. We only have a we have a minute left, Mobster. Um, 2010, he was arrested for robbery. But the story gets even weirder from there. Basically, he went to his gym to pick up mail and money he was owed. But his wife and her sister refused to give him the bag of money. After putting up a struggle, he struck the sister and was arrested. They also found that he had an outstanding warrant for parking tickets because he was parking his uh, Beamer on the road. But he claimed, oh, I paid my tickets while I was overseas. So uh, the next day he was released from jail and the charges were, charges were lowered. So it, it's interesting. This is a little um, interesting here. Maybe we're dealing with a hothead. Um, I hope that it's not true that he put his hands on a woman. Um, I really do hope that's not the case because no man should ever put their hands on a woman. Um, hope maybe, hopefully, maybe she pushed, you know, they pushed each other or something and, and something, yeah, happened, yeah. something like the that. Best. But I mean, you should never put your hands on a woman. So I hope, I hope that, um, he didn't really do that, especially a guy, his size picking on a woman. That's pretty pathetic. If you're a guy at that size and you have to put your hands on a woman, that's, uh, that's really, really bad. I'm not going to think of this in, very quickly on that and, in, and, and I'm all positive thing as well. Uh, so in terms of that particular stuff, any situation, and I'm actually, I was born in the same year as Milos. So there's not a lot of difference in terms of our age. I was born in 64, so was Milos. So 55, 56 years of age. I think he's 55, so he's a tiny bit younger than me. And um, as we know, I'm over 300 pounds. I've been in situations in the past when I've weighed a lot less and it's all gone to shit in a relationship or whatever else. And I think maybe Steve Smith could probably agree with this. It is very easy to feel the way that he feels. But here's how this works. And it's always worked for me. Literally getting up and leaving the room and walking away. Sometimes the women freak the fuck out because you've done that. And they're frustrated because you're not responding the way they wanted you to respond. Positive or negatively. 
and and have literally just got up and stopped talking and left left the building, got the train home, disappeared to the other side of the county. When they come running down the garden path screaming, we haven't finished yet, and I'm not even in the same district I've got. So yeah, that 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 works a lot better, guys, than any of these situations when you end up with this kind of situation. I do not want the police knocking on my door because I've given a woman a clump. That that's just no, no. On a positive thing, and let's go back to the subject in terms of his coaching again. Uh, in the last couple of years, the Chinese uh, side of things has come on gangbusters really, really well. And there's a lot more disposable income amongst the Chinese. And one of the positives that was coming, both himself and Dennis James, high-level pro bodybuilders with good knowledge and great coaches, have, on, I believe, three to six months at a time, Steve, been over in China coaching athletes over there. Uh, indeed, to the point where just before what's the COVID business, they had to come back from China, fortunately, before it all kicked off over there. But yeah, they were doing six months, three months, six months, sometimes longer, uh, long-term contracts coaching uh, Chinese athletes. And in the case of one of Milos's athletes, who, who'd never won a competition, started to win his class, started to win Chinese championships and so on and so forth. So that's not, that's a, we're going to say the good and the bad, he is a very, very good coach. 100%. And if you're going all the way to China and spending six months at a time, they must think you're pretty damn good. That's a long time away from home. I don't doubt for a second he was getting paid mega bucks, hundreds of thousands of dollars to be staring out there and doing what needs to be done in a foreign country. We don't speak the language. There's probably a translator working there and bringing their athletes up to uh, Olympia level or near Olympia level standard. Yes, Steve. Yeah. So before we finish up, we got a uh, I don't think we mentioned his stats, but you guys would want to know he's his stats uh, at his peak, 5'10", 245 pounds ripped and chest size, 55 inches, waist size, only 31 inches. So that is a huge um, difference between 55 chest and 31 waist. So you can tell. Yeah, that's that's a hell of a physique. So he's a uh, he's a monster for sure. Yeah, very good. All right, guys. So that finishes it up, guys. Our next podcast um, is, I'm going to give you a hint. The guy we're going to talk about was born in Beirut. So that's the only hint I'm going to give you guys. So if you, if, if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, then you'll find out in a week from now when we uh, put out our next podcast. So that sums it up. For Steve Smee and the Moabsta, this was a podcast on Milos Sarsiv. And we will talk to you guys next week. Take care, guys. Yes, sir.